Hey guys, welcome to the fifth episode of I Know Nothing About MMA. And how good's that intro music? We've finally got intro music again. It's back. Woohoo! Yes, but this is the fifth episode of I Know Nothing About MMA. I'm your host, DC. Not that DC, not the great one. Enjoy retirement, my man. What a fighter he is. And today we're going to be looking at the Frankie Edgar versus Pedro Munoz UFC card. We're going to be looking a little bit at the Bellator 244 card. And we're also, just like last episode, we're going to be looking at the boxing. Again, because boxing won this weekend, guys. It really did. If you didn't watch the boxing, you were missing out. We had a lot of great fights. Gillian White versus Alexander Povetkin. Katie Taylor versus Delphine Bazoon. And those are the fights that we're really going to talk about. Because I know this is an MMA show, but you guys got to know about those fights. And before we get into it, let's just do a bit of housekeeping. Um, if you're on Apple Podcasts and you want to support the show, the best way to do it, apparently, is to give us a five-star review. If you enjoy the show, that is. Don't do it if you don't enjoy the show. But if you enjoy the show, give us a five-star review. Let us know it's one of your favorite podcasts, yada, 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 because that helps. Otherwise, email me at I know nothing about MMA um, at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at I know nothing about MMA. I'm not going to tell you my handle. It's just a, we need to work that one out, definitely. But yeah, that's me waffling on. Enjoy the show, guys. All right, let's talk about Frankie Edgar versus Pedro Munoz. This was the main event of this UFC Fight Night card. This was a better fight than I thought it was going to be. To be honest with you, I thought Pedro Munoz was going to spark Frankie Edgar inside one round. That was my prediction. (laughs) Obviously, I got it way wrong. Sorry for the cough. Obviously, I got that way wrong. Way off. You're going to hear that a lot in this podcast. You know, it is called I Know Nothing About MMA, so a lot of the times my predictions are going to be way wrong. And why I was thinking that was because, you know, what is Frank Yeager going to look like at bantamweight? This is the third weight class he's moved down to, albeit over a, a long period of time. It's not like he's went from lightweight to featherweight to bantamweight. He's had good long runs as a lightweight and as a featherweight. But still, I was still like, hmm, what is Frankie Edgar going to look like at bantamweight? And the answer is, he looks really fucking good. He looked really good in this fight because Munoz ain't no scrub. As the TLC girls would say, he ain't no scrub. Frankie Edgar fought like the consummate professional we know him to be. This was a very high-level match. Oh, you guys hear that? That's the washing machine. But Frankie Edgar fought really well tonight. He fought like a monster. He really did. He fought so well. But this was a high-level fight. Frankie Edgar, he... Used really good striking, especially when Munoz was throwing the leg kicks early. He answered back with some punches to say, hey, stop throwing those leg kicks, buddy. Because you're going get, to get a few punches to the head if you keep doing that. And Munoz, you know, he did stop throwing those leg kicks after a while. 
But this was a very close fight. I actually scored it for Munoz. Very close fight, though. Could have went either way, so, you know, no one's crying about this result. This was an excellent performance by Fran Edgar. And I think the decision to move down to Bantamweight looks like a really, really good decision for Frankie Edgar now. He looks really... Uh, he looks really good at Bantamweight. And I think the problem with him at Featherweight was is because the frame of these guys at Featherweight, the... You know, physically, these guys are much bigger now. Zabit, Korean Zombie, Max Holloway, and he fought two of those guys in a row. Max Holloway and then the Korean Zombie, and he lost emphatically both times. But it's because the frame of these guys is very um, big, you know, especially in comparison to Frankie Edgar. You know, Bantamweight is more his style. A lot of good bantamweights out there, though. But not a lot of big bantamweights. The only big bantamweight you can think of is potentially Sean O'Malley. And maybe his frame at bantamweight is... Um, it, it hurts him more than it helps him sometimes. Because obviously, he seems a bit frail. He does seem a little frail at that weight class. But anyway, enough about Sean O'Malley. We'll talk about Sean O'Malley a little later. We're going to talk about it on the next episode. The pace was incredible on this fight as well. These guys were going at it for five rounds, 25 minutes, non-stop. Giving each other different looks. Hitting each other hard. Hitting each other on the chin as well. And that's one problem I had with Frankie Edgar going down to Bantamweight was after he got knocked out by the Korean zombie, how is his chin going to be now? Is he still going to be the Frankie Edgar of old, this relentless blue-collar fighter? I mean, that's really what he is. He's a blue-collar fighter. He's relentless. His fights are ugly. He puts a lot of pressure on you. He ain't, you know, dancing and slipping and sliding. He was doing a bit of that, actually. But that ain't really Frankie Edgar. Frankie Edgar's like a fighter's fighter. Frankie Edgar's a great fighter, guys. He is a great fighter. And my problem was... When Munoz hits him on the chin, how is he going to react? Is he going to fold and crumple? Which I thought he would. I thought he was going to fold. I thought maybe his chin, as Conor McGregor says, his chin is deteriorating. Maybe that could have been the case. But obviously it wasn't the case because he took those shots and he took those shots really well. Really well. So there's going to be no calls for me that Frank Yeager should retire after this fight. There's going to be none of that. There's going to be no Frank Yeager, please move to Bellator. Because no, he definitely belongs in the UFC bantamweight division. 100%. He is a top 10 guy in this division. As is Pedro Munoz. And being a top 10 guy in this division is a big deal. Because there are a lot of great fighters in this bantamweight division. A lot. And I'm very sad that someone like Henry Cejudo retired. Because he is just so good as well. TJ Dillashaw is coming back. Add that to the long list of names who are already at bantamweight. Dominic Cruz is back. A lot of great fighters. And that's a fight I would love to see. I think I saw Ariel Hawani say it. And I 100% agree that Frank Edgar should fight Dominic Cruz next. I think that's a great fight. 
think they're at similar stages in their career. It's a worthwhile fight to put on. Not a lot of wrestling in this match as well by Frank Yeager. Not a lot of going to the ground. Just a lot of striking. Yes, he used his wrestling to give Pedro Munoz different looks, but he didn't rely on his wrestling. He showed an incredible striking game. Yes, he works with Mark Henry, one of the top trainers in this sport. So there's no surprises there that he's well-coached, well-drilled. But that is Frank Yeager. He's a well-drilled guy. He's a very reliable fighter. And he showed that tonight. Very reliable. Even when the chips were down. And yes, he was a favourite in America, stateside. He was not a favourite in Australia. I don't know what it was like in Britain. But Pedro Munoz was the favourite in that fight. Over here, at least. I don't know if late money came in for Frank Yeager over here. Not that sure. Don't really keep up the, the betting odds that much over here. But that's what it was when I checked it. That Pedro Munoz was a favourite. Not a huge favourite, but a sizable favourite. So Frankie, the underdog Edgar, pulls it out. And I think this move to bantamweight will only benefit his career, only prolong his career at the top, only make him a more worthwhile fighter to watch. Because if he stayed at featherweight, again, he would have to contend with the frames of people who are a lot bigger than him, fighters who are, you know, physically just a lot bigger, a lot more to contend with at featherweight. And yes, I know Alexander Volkanovsky is the champion at featherweight, but he is um, he's quite a big featherweight, not in height-wise, but physically in terms of how stocky he is. He's uh, you know, a former rugby league player, and trust me, as an Australian, those guys... Uh, and he was a front rower as well. He wasn't like on the back. He was a front rower. So he has that strength. He has that, I'll push you up against the fence and you ain't going anywhere strength. And he does do that a lot of the time. But Frankie Edgar fought an excellent fight. He fought very intelligently. Never got sucked into a firefight. And that's what Munoz wanted him to do. He wanted to trap him. That's why he was pressuring him a lot in that fight. He was hunting him down almost. But Frankie Edgar, again, fought really intelligently. Showed um, incredible striking in this uh, fight. And if you watched his fight against Max Holloway, you might think, well, his striking is waning a little. But that's just because he has to contend with the height of Max Holloway, the range of Max Holloway. A lot harder to gauge distance. And I think it's a lot harder for him to be the smaller man and be the smaller man by a long shot as well, especially in those Korean zombie fight as well. He was the, he was the little guy in that fight by a good margin. So, Frank Edgar, welcome to Bantamweight. He fought excellently. Pedro Munoz, and listen, Pedro Munoz did lose this fight, but let's not act like Pedro Munoz's stock has absolutely plummeted after this fight. This was a really close fight. This was a split decision. One judge gave it 49-46 to Pedro Munoz. The other two judges gave it 48-47 to Frank Edgar. So... On one person's card, it was Sal Amato's card. Shout out to Sal Amato. On his card, Pedro Munoz won the fight comfortably on his card. Won it by two rounds. 
but obviously that's not how a lot of people saw it. And isn't that interesting when you when you know a judge's name like Sal Diamato, um, Adelaide Bird? It's really only because they've had some really bad cards in the past. Like no one knows a judge and because they've put out a good card. Like oh, wow, that's a really good card, Sal Diamato. What a great card you put on. No, it's always uh, we know this because you put out a terrible card. You know, we know this judge because what an awful card, you know. Terribly thankless job. But yes, that was that fight. That was the main event. A very good fight. If you haven't watched it, please go and watch that fight. It was very entertaining. And yeah, let's talk about other fights on this card. We're not going to go through every fight on this card because really it was quite a boring card. It was what you would call in the sport a one-fight card if you looked at it on paper. But listen, there were some uh, fun fights on this card. It wasn't a totally dead card. We had some huge upsets in this card, and we'll get into that, and we'll get into that right now, actually. Let's just skip over that Mike Rodriguez fight. He fought really well in that fight. He knocked his opponent out. Mike Rodriguez knocked out Marcin Prachnio hope that's how you say his name. I think that's how you say his name. Knocked him out with an elbow, and then when he was on the ground, Prachner, he Mike Rodriguez just came in and bounced his head off the canvas. Knocked him spark out. And that was a good win for Mike Rodriguez. Interested to see what he, he does next. But the big fight on this card, other than the Frankie Edgar fight, the fight that caught people's attention the most was one of the biggest upsets in UFC history. I'm not even joking. If you looked at the betting line for this fight, you would know because the gap between the favorite and the underdog was insane. Maria Agapova was a a minus 1400 favorite, which is just incredible. And that what what that means if you don't bet and I'm from Australia, so it's not like that over here, but what that means is if you put $1,400 on Maria um, Agop- Agopova, sorry. Maria Agopova. God, I hate that. It should be Agapova, right? But if you put 1400 on Agopova, you would only win 100 back. So you would only win $1,500 after putting on a $1,400 bet, which is ridiculous. And her opponent, Shayna Dobson, came into this fight a plus 800 uh, underdog. This fight was really interesting. Before before the fight, Maria Agopova fought. Um, she looked really confident. She was, you know, dancing to the cage. She was wearing those weird little white things that she wears a lot. You know, those little things. They look like AirPods <laughs> if you if you look at them from like a not too far away. They really do look like AirPods, but I think they're covering her ear piercing. And yeah, she. Um, she had the swagger of someone coming in as a, a minus 1400 favorite as one of the biggest betting favorites in probably the history of the sport. It's a pretty crazy, um, yeah, it's a very crazy um, betting line that fight was. That was just insane. But she came in and um, look, for the first round, she was throwing heat and she looked good. You can't deny that. She was looking good. Her strikes were very precise. They really were. And I saw a lot of people saying, oh, she tried bomb rushing her. It didn't work. No, she was hitting her on the chin. She should have thrown, as a corner said in, in between rounds, a few more straight shots, a few more straight punches. 
because she is the longer fighter and she should use her reach a little better. But other than that, as a striker, she looked fine. And when she was on the ground in the first round, um, she didn't look too bad either. Shayna Dobson, though, weathered the storm. She fought incredibly well and she fought like someone who deserved to be there. You know, a lot of people before this fight were saying, well, uh, Shayna Dobson's a can. She's just put there to uh, look, uh, make Akapova look really good. Agapova, sorry. And before this fight, a lot of people were just saying that Shane Dobson was just a can. Someone for Agapova to um, just walk through because she was such a, a crazy underdog, like a plus 800 underdog. And obviously a lot of people were wrong. And obviously a lot of people will not be calling fighters cans anymore. Will not be calling fighters bums because it's disrespectful. Yes, people say it in jest. Yes, they say it to prove points. I say it to prove points myself. But at the end of the day, someone who gets in the octagon, someone who gets in a boxing ring, someone who gets in any ring, they're not bums. You know, even if they have a record of uh, 10 and 100, you know, they're not bums. You know, I'm never going to be in a fight. So I'm, I'm the bum here. You know what I mean? I'm the bum. But Shayna Dobson fought really well. She weathered the storm. In the first round, yes, she was getting dominated. Yes, she was getting worked over. But she was never in trouble of being finished. And that was the problem for Agopova, was her not being able to finish Shayna Dobson and then running out of steam, running out of gas, tiring out the way she did. And she tired out um, quite a lot. She tired out... Uh, quite badly. She was very tired. Very, very tired. And she didn't really look... Um, yeah, and I don't know if it was because of the weight cut. I don't know if she had a really bad weight cut and thus she um, lost her energy far quicker. But I don't think that's the case. I think it's more the case of she tried to steamroll past her opponent and she tried to... She didn't show any respect to her opponent. And Shayna Dobson came through and was an absolute monster. You know, she came through, brought the fight to her world and finished her. And finished her in emphatic fashion. It was a really easy win for her. And she also did it in front of Dana White. Dana White, they graced these fighters with his presence for this card. I know he's been watching a lot of these cards, but man, I did not expect him to be watching this card. Because it is a boring card. I expected him maybe to walk out for the Frankie Edgar uh, <laughs> Munoz fight. But no, he was there the whole time. Fair play to him. And fair play to Shane Dobson getting a win like that over such a huge betting favorite. She is my star of the week for this week. So congratulations, Shane Dobson. You are a star. You um, saved your UFC career. That's how it looks like to me. That's what it looked like to other people is that um, maybe she could have been cut if she lost this fight. And if she lost this fight badly, she probably definitely would have been cut. But no, she proved her mettle when the chips were down. She fought well. She fought hard. And that's all you can ask for. That's really all you can ask for. So, yeah, props to Shane Dobson. Great win. And now let's get on to uh, the next fight on the card. And after this fight, we had the... Joe Selecki versus Austin Hubbard fight. And 
this was a pretty easy fight for Joe Selecki. He got the back. He got a rear naked choke. He's standing rear naked choke as well. And he held on to him for a good while. Austin Hubbard really didn't know what to do. He should have been fighting the legs to get that body triangle off. But he didn't do that. He, um, he looked very outclassed. And one thing I have to say about these guys as well is these guys, these guys are big lightweights. That's what I'm saying about Frank Yeager dropping right down to bantamweight because Frank Yeager was the lightweight champion. And now you look at these lightweights and they're so much bigger. And it's not like Sean O'Malley where they're like frail and they're, they're tall. No, these guys are built. They're jacked. These guys, you know, Austin Hubbard especially, probably walked into the cage at like 170. He looked like a welterweight. Both of them look like welterweights. But Joe Selecki got the job done really easily. This was, yeah, it looked way too easy for him, to be honest. It was a comfortable matchup, to say the least. And after the fight, he had such a great post-match interview as well. Post-fight interview, sorry. Sorry, I come from that football world where we say post-match. But no, post-fight interview. And he looked so good. He was saying really cool things. Like, what you saw today was just uh, all the work my teammates have done for me. You know, I work with the best guys in the world. Very humble guy, very cool guy. And he will be getting another shot at someone in the UFC. He looked very cool. He's expecting a baby as well. Good on you, Joe Selecki. So Joe Selecki gets that win. First round submission, a rear naked choke. Well done, Joe Selecki. And another fight on this card was the Daniel Rodriguez versus Dwight Grant fight. And Daniel Rodriguez was getting hurt in this fight. He Dwight Grant was all over him for the first few minutes of this fight. And then it all changed. Sorry about that. A lot of noise happening out there. Then it all changed. Dwight Grant blew his load, as they say. And Mike Rodriguez, Daniel Rodriguez, sorry, there's two Rodriguez's on this card tonight. Both won as well. Both got knockout victories. Good night for the Rodriguez's. But Daniel Rodriguez, in his comeback victory, looked really good as well. He showed character, he showed heart, he got dropped, he came back, and then dropped Dwight Grant. Gotta feel sorry for Dwight Grant. And this was a, a, a late-notice fight as well. A lot of late-notice fights on this card. And that's been a, a reoccurring theme in the COVID era of fights is a lot of late replacements, a lot of late-notice fights. So it's really hard to tell how good these guys are because they're not exactly preparing for their opponents. You know, or maybe that's a good way of showing how good they are because they are not preparing for their opponents. They don't really have any game plans. So they're just going in and doing what they know best. But he fought really well, Daniel Rodriguez. And that was really it for this card, guys. There wasn't a lot going on in this card, trust me. Like, I wish there was more going on in this card, but there really wasn't. It was a bit of a boring card. Bit of a sleepy card, this one. A very sleepy card. So let's talk about Bellator now. Bellator 244. And we won't talk about this card a lot because like the UFC card, this was, again, a sleepy card. 
This was a fucking Bellator card. And what I mean by Bellator card was it, it fucking sucked. Bellator put on way too many cards. And a lot of these cards suck. Like this one did. The big draws on this card were Ryan Bader, Roy Nelson, Julia Budd. And guys, what I'll say to start off with is it's time for Roy Nelson. Well, he knows it's time to hang it up. He's only got one more fight in this organization. So he knows it's time to hang it up. And he fought really, he fought terribly in this fight. He looked really bad. And I know his opponent, Moldovsky, is... Look, he looked a lot better than him on the day. He looked incredible. Like, you know... Looks a bit juicy, this guy. Moldovsky. I don't know what testing they're doing out in Russia. Don't know what they can do in Russia for testing. But hey, that's that's just me. That's just my little conspiracy. You know, Russians won big on this Bellator card tonight. They won very big. And... You know, Roy Nelson, it's time to hang it up, man. And that's the problem with Bellator. Giving people like Roy Nelson these shots time after time after time. Roy Nelson was good like 10 years ago. You know, 8 years ago. You know what I mean? It's 2020 and we have to sit through a Roy Nelson fight. Please retire. And yes, he is retiring next fight if he gets that fight. If I was Scott Coker, I would say, well, I don't know if you've done enough to deserve that fight. I think you should do your retirement fight in another organization. Because you fought apathetically tonight. You fought like someone who didn't want to fight. As he said, he got outworked, outhustled, outfought. Didn't look like he even wanted to be there. So if I was Scott Coker, maybe I would think twice about giving him his retirement fight against Matt Mitrioni. But Scott Coker's a lot nicer than me. Scott Coker's a good man. So he will probably give in to that demand. He's too nice, I think, Scott Coker. But I do really like Scott Coker. And I really wish Beltor all the success. But when you're putting on these cards, it's kind of hard to root for Bellator because these cards really do suck then we had Julia Budd back her first fight since losing her featherweight title to Chris Cyborg and she fought in an absolute walkover dominated her opponent uh, total mismatch of a fight can't even remember who she fought that's that's the uh, you know that's how whatever that fight was you know like total mismatch total tune up fight yeah Julia Budd does nothing for her beating this person yeah she's already established so it's hard to give her tune-up fights and that's the problem with the featherweight division the women's featherweight division is there's not a lot of good featherweights really there's not a lot of good featherweights the best featherweight in the world is amanda nunez and she's really a bantamweight so it's a pretty shallow division it's probably one of the more shallow divisions in mixed martial arts the most shallow division probably more fighters at atom weight who and that's below straw weight that's 105 it's probably more fighters at atom weight who who could fill a slot rather than at a featherweight but obviously there's not a lot of finishes at atom weight it is more of an asian 
thing. I know Invicta do atom weight. So look, there's a precedent for an American organization to do it. So hey, it could happen one day. But in the main event, we saw Ryan Bader defend his uh, title against Nemkov, a Russian light heavyweight. And Ryan Bader got, you know, he did win the first round, but he got dominated after that. When Nemkov put him down, he put him down. And that fight should have been stopped a lot earlier than it did get stopped. Trust me. I know I know Ryan Bader was advancing position, so that's why it's not really the worst stoppage ever. It's not like a Jose Aldo stoppage where you're screaming at the TV, fucking stop this fight. At least I was screaming at the TV. It was just insane. No, it wasn't like that because Ryan Bader was, you know, he was trying to advance position. He was trying to hold on. But as a referee... Your top priority, your first priority, is to protect the fighter. We don't let fighters be warriors in this sport. And yes, on the UFC card, there were times where the referee let fighters be a warrior. Specifically, the Daniel Rodriguez fight. Where Daniel Rodriguez looked like, hey, he could have been out, but he came back to win. So, the referee was ultimately proved right in this situation. But in this situation, and this is a case-by-case thing... In this situation, he was wrong because Ryan Bader was dropped three times. Twice after thinking, maybe you could stop this fight now, referee. And Ryan Bader, a really tough guy, was fighting on instincts alone. He was doing everything he could. Everything he could, but it obviously wasn't enough. And the referee should have stopped the fight much earlier. But that doesn't happen in this sport, obviously. And there was something made by Scott Coker that Bellator have the best uh, light heavyweights. Mm, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think light heavyweight is probably one of the uh, more interesting divisions now at Bellator with the addition of Corey Anderson. Corey Anderson's a great fighter. And um, I think I saw Dana White say something like um, he'll be a lot more competitive in Bellator and I don't necessarily agree if that's true or not because the guy he lost to last in UFC Jan Blackowish uh, is fighting for the title next and I think he has a great chance of winning that fight so you know I think that's a bit of spilt milk there from Dana White and Dana White was incredibly petty maybe it's because uh, the fight card sucks so much that he had to pull out the stops and uh really get people talking because you know yes there were things to talk about on this fight card the UFC one but there wasn't a lot to talk about he um accused Oscar De La Hoya of taking cocaine again and he said he's coming out of retirement because cocaine isn't cheap whatever Dana White you know Dana White I'm sure he knows the fucking price of cocaine I'm sure you could ask him how much is a gram Mr. White and he, he would tell you you know. So I'm sure Oscar De La Hoya isn't the only one dabbling in cocaine in the fight sport game. Very petty to Oscar De La Hoya. But that's what happens when you step on another man's territory. So, yeah, Scott Coker said that maybe the Bellator light heavyweight division is better than the UFC's. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think there are probably a lot more better fighters in the light heavyweight division in UFC. But listen, it's still an interesting division in Bellator. And if Corey Anderson wins the belt, I'm sure he'll fight Nemkov next. 
then he'll fight Ryan Bader or, you know, whatever. Unless Ryan Bader wants to stay at heavyweight. And by the way, this was Ryan Bader's first cut to 205 pounds in three years. He'd been fighting at um, heavyweight for a long time. So did the weight cut play a role? You know, because he's been used to fighting at heavyweight for a good little while now. So getting down to 205 would have been a hard cut for him, you know, because his body is so used to fighting at a, you know, obviously at a a bigger weight, you know. I don't think he's like the biggest heavyweight in the world. I think he probably fights at the 220, 230 mark. But still, he's probably, you know, that's a hard weight cut. And I think he said as much that this was one of the hardest weight cuts of his career. So I'm sure Ryan Bader will be back. Problem for Ryan Bader is he's not a very interesting fighter, a very interesting personality. So UFC were happy to let him go to Bellator. And listen, it's worked really well from a Bellator. He was a double champion in Bellator. Won the light heavyweight and heavyweight title. So I'm not super upset for Ryan Bader. I'm not crying about this performance. Sorry if you guys hear that. That's just the uh, the washing machine. Someone's doing a lot of washing today. But yeah. And I think it's very good that Corey Anderson moved to Bellator because, listen, he knows his worth. UFC were not going to give him his worth. UFC used him as a stepping stone in the Johnny Walker situation, if you remember that. That's why he was so animated after the fight. And it was clear to him, clear to everyone who really understood the situation that he wasn't very liked, uh, well-liked at UFC. So he's going to an organization which values him. Same with Ryan Bader. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you don't always have to fight at UFC, especially if they're not going to pay you as much as the competition. I know Paige, I know Paige Van Zandt did that. She went to Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship, but that's very different. You know, going to Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship is like the end of your career, you know, and that's like, a, you know, that's a terrible move, you know. That is a, you know, no great fighter in the world right now is, you know, going to Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship. All right, now let's talk about the big news of the weekend. And yes, we are going to be talking about boxing because boxing won this weekend if you guys weren't watching the boxing this weekend you missed out a lot you lost you need to take that L because there was such an amazing fight that happened this weekend two amazing fights really and we're going to break them down we're going to talk about them the first fight was Dillian White versus Alexander Povetkin for the WBC number one contender spot basically it was for the interim title Dillian White has been the WBC interim champion for a thousand days a lot was made of that we're going to talk about why that really doesn't matter too much especially in the last 500 days yes in the first 500 days sure it mattered but we're going to talk about why it really didn't matter in the last 500 days why it was more just propaganda by Sky Sports, by Matchroom Boxing. Oh, this was a great card that Matchroom Boxing put on. This was in Eddie Hearn's backyard. He needs to stop that shit. I don't want to be watching any more fights in Eddie Hearn's backyard. I guess it's a bit of fun, but I just don't like that it's in his backyard. I mean, you know, 
This is my problem with Eddie Hearn, is that he thinks he's the star of the show, as the promoter. Same with Dana White. No, 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 no. The fighters are the star of the show. Now, I don't know if it's because Eddie Hearn doesn't have fighters on his roster that inspire, you know, they're not the most incredible personalities. Anthony Joshua isn't an amazing personality. Sure, he's a role model, whatever. He's a good lad, whatever. That's why Eddie Hearn needs to be in front of the cameras a lot, in my opinion, is because his fighters, they're not that interesting as people, as personalities. They're not that great. So he has to be the personality. He has to be the star of the show. But on to the fight. Dillian White defended his WBC interim championship versus Alexander Povetkin. And a lot of people looked past Alexander Povetkin before this fight. I didn't. I know I sound like a Steve Bunce aftertimer here, but I really didn't. I thought this was going to be a hard fight for Dillian White. Yes, he has been on that amazing run, beating Joseph Parker... Chisora, Rivas, you know, a lot of good fighters this guy's fought while being the WBC interim champion. And he risked it all. He risked it all, rather, against Alexander Povetkin and was doing well in the fight. For the first four rounds, he was cruising in this fight. First three rounds, especially, he was softening up Alexander Povetkin. He was, you know, landing some good body shots. He's jab was landing, all the things you look for in a good performance by a fighter. And in the fourth round, he knocked down Alexander Povetkin twice, meaning it was a 10-7 round. So he looked even better. I was thinking, wow, he's going to put the hurt on Alexander Povetkin. He's going to stop Alexander Povetkin here. And yes, in the fifth round, that all changed. That all changed in the fifth round. Because... Dillian White got knocked the fuck out. That was probably the best knockout of 2020. Alexander Povetkin threw an uppercut. And Dillian White, for some reason, ducked into the uppercut. I mean, he spoke a lot about this fight, about um, his fight IQ and all these things. And look, I like Dillian White. I think he's a good boxer. I think he's a great boxer. And... This fight is only indicative of the fact that he will take big fights. He didn't have to take this fight as the interim champion, but he knows he has to take this fight. You know, if he wants people to be interested in him still, and he isn't the type of fighter who want to sit on the couch until the big fight comes. He ain't that type of guy. And that's why a lot of people are endeared to Dillian White, because he is that type of fighter. He's a throwback fighter, essentially. He'll fight anyone. But that was also his downfall. Because Alexander Povetkin landed one of the nastiest knockouts you will see. An uppercut that sparked him right out. He went out like a lamp. The referee didn't even bother counting. Because he went out. His body was stiff. And a lot of people were underestimating Alexander Povetkin go into this fight because he had that draw against Michael Hunter in Saudi Arabia on the Andrew Ruiz, Anthony Joshua 2 undercard. And that was an interesting fight because, in my opinion, two things happened there. One, Michael Hunter isn't the biggest name, so it doesn't really do anything for, well, three things. One, Michael Hunter really isn't a big name, so 
what does it do for Alexander Povetkin? Nothing really. Doesn't do much for Alexander Povetkin to beat Michael Hunter. So effort level wasn't there. He had to get the fight. He had to get the fight into him, basically. Michael Hunter was controlling the first part of the fight, and in the second part of the fight, Alexander Povetkin came back, and once he realized he was in a fight, he fought. Two, you don't really want to be fighting on your rival's undercard. That's one thing that you never want to do as a fighter, as a proud man. And that's what happened. He fought on the Anthony Joshua undercard, and this is a story Mike Tyson tells in his autobiography about after Lennox Lewis knocked him out, Lennox Lewis asked him to be uh, his co-main event feature on his next pay-per-view card. And Mike Tyson said, um, no, thank you. I'm too proud for that. And obviously boxing is a bit different now. And obviously Alexander Povetkin is not Mike Tyson, so he can't really, he doesn't really have that leeway. But yeah, you don't really want to be fighting on your uh, opponent's undercard. It's not a, I wouldn't say it's a very fun thing especially in boxing. It's not it's very different in UFC but in 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 MMA but in boxing it's a uh, it's a bit different because of how structurally uh, different it is. The power structure, you know. We went over this last episode. If you want to learn about the power structure of boxing, you know, go back to last episode. And the third thing is that fighting in Saudi Arabia fucking sucks. It's hot over there. It's really, really hot. And I think that played a big role in how well these people were fighting on the night. It was a very, very shoddy card. It was a boring card. And I think that's because the heat over there is so crazy. I live in Australia and the heat is, yeah, it's hot. It's it's winter over here right now, but it's still hot. You still need to wear like uh, summer clothes sometimes over here, especially in Queensland. But in Saudi Arabia, it's a totally different thing. It's really hot over there. So I think the heat played a role in his fight against Michael Hunter. But yeah, Povetkin is definitely not finished. He's definitely not finished, Povetkin. And Povetkin is now the mandatory challenger for Tyson Fury's WBC belt. And this was a very politically significant fight. Because for a long time, the promoter of Anthony Joshua and Dillian White, Eddie Hearn, was basically trying to push Tyson Fury to fight Dillian White either to... either so that Tyson Fury would turn that fight down and want the Anthony Joshua fight or the Deontay Wilder trilogy fight. Thus, him being stripped of the uh, WBC belt because he failed to fight a mandatory challenger or slow the process down by making Tyson Fury fight Dylan White. Dillian White, rather. Is it Dillian White or Dylan? I've heard, I heard Eddie Hearn say Dillian White and I heard Anthony Joshua say Dylan White. So I just, I assumed Eddie was right. <laughs> you know. So this was a politically significant fight for um, the future of heavyweight boxing. Because a win for Dillian White would embolden him to say, come on, Tyson Fury, let's have a fight. You know, because the matchroom propaganda arm will tell you that Tyson Fury has been running scared of Dillian White, which 
in my opinion, is a little ridiculous. My opinion, that's not the case at all. I laid out what I think is the case that Eddie Hearn is basically putting roadblocks in the way of people getting to watch the Anthony Joshua Tyson Fury fight. And if it's very interesting. If you watch his reaction, Eddie Hearn, and Anthony Joshua after that fight, after Dillian White got knocked out, if you go back and look at the Sky Sports coverage, these guys were not happy. These guys were not happy at all. And it wasn't a sadness. It was more like um, a frustration. A frustration that Dillian White couldn't win. And obviously, Dillian White has the rematch clause, so things could all be well. He could beat Alexander Povekin, which it looked like he was going to, and remain the WBC champion. But even then, the appetite for a Tyson Fury versus Dillian White fight is no longer that great you know the fans just saw him get knocked out by a 40 year old man and that's not to disparage Alexander Povetkin Povetkin is a great fighter Povetkin is a top top fighter you know but Povetkin has been beaten by Anthony Joshua he has been beaten by Vladimir Klitschko so it's very hard to say that this would be a competitive fight against Tyson Fury because Tyson Fury is a lot bigger than these guys and it seems like he has a problem against big rangy um, fighters and Anthony Joshua to his credit is a good long range boxer Tyson Fury is a good long range and close range boxer and mid range boxer he can fight any way he wants to so that's why it's even more of a challenge when Alexander Povetkin or if Alexander Povetkin fights him I don't think that fight's going to happen because there's no appetite for that fight. I don't think many people are interested in that fight. But that's what potentially could happen. So Dillian White gets knocked out in the fifth round. An incredible uppercut. One of the... Honestly, the best knockout you'll see of the year. And I'm going to put uh, a cheeky $10 on to say that this will be the best knockout of the year. In boxing, at least. At least in boxing. Because this was just a stunner. A shocking, your mouth is wide open. I can't believe this type of knockout, especially in the context of the fight where White was cruising, White knocked him down twice in the round prior. So you really never thought that um, Povetkin really had a chance. And as soon as I thought, well, Povetkin's got to win by stoppage, he absolutely does. He wins emphatically by stoppage. So that was a great fight. That was a very significant fight um, for the future of heavyweight boxing as well, as I laid out. So yeah, thumbs up for that fight. I glossed over this part. Why Dillian White's reign, a thousand day reign as WBC interim title was more of a narrative push by Sky Sports and Matchroom Boxing is because during at least 500 of those days, the WBC belt was held up in a legitimate rivalry between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury and this made more sense um, business-wise this would made more sense for both fighters legacy-wise this was a much bigger fight a fan that a fight that fans wanted a lot more than a potential Dillian White versus Deontay Wilder fight so for 500 at least 500 of those days this was not a fight that fans were clamoring for and It did turn out that Tyson Fury was a legitimate challenger for the WBC belt despite coming off the couch, essentially, to fight this uh, 
for fight for the belt. He drew the first fight. Maybe should have won the first fight. A lot of people think he won the first fight. He outboxed him in the first fight. And then in the second fight, we all know what happened. Tyson Fury sparked him. He hurt him. He knocked him out. Well, technical knockout. They threw in the towel, but that's essentially a technical knockout. So that is why the 1,000-day reign of Dillian White as WBC champion is a little overstated, in my opinion. It's a little, mm, you know, whatever. But for 500 of those days, hey, that's a, uh, it's a big run for Dillian White. And maybe he should have fought um, Deontay Wilder then. But obviously, it doesn't work out like that. And what can you do? This is boxing, you know. But for 500 of those days, the last 500 days, eh, whatever, you know. Not much sympathy from me, to be honest. And now let's talk about another fight that was really interesting on this card. Let's talk about the Katie Taylor versus Delphine Pursoon rematch. The first fight was on the undercard of Anthony Joshua versus Andrew Ruiz 1 in Madison Square Garden, that fateful night where Andrew Ruiz knocked out the great Anthony Joshua, beat him up basically, knocked him down three times. Anthony Joshua in between rounds saying, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? What he hit me with? You know, he was dazed and confused. So... Their first fight, Delphine Pursoon and Katie Taylor, was a really interesting fight. A lot of people, me included, thought Delphine Pursoon won that fight. I think Katie Taylor wasn't expecting it to be such a war. And this time around, it was a similar type of fight. However, Katie Taylor showed her class in this fight. She showed that she is a really good boxer, like... You know, and obviously that was, you know, that's not a secret. Kayla Taylor is probably the most technically gifted female boxer of all time. And the most influential female boxer of all time. So it wasn't a surprise to see that she was boxing so technically well on the night. She was landing great crisp punches. She was making Delphine Pazoon miss. And Delphine Pazoon, her game plan in this fight was to pressure Katie Taylor, use her aggression and make this a scrap, make this a dogfight and make it a dogfight she did. Wasn't as effective in the first as it was in the first fight, but still was effective and it still was causing Katie Taylor problems. I had Katie Taylor winning by two rounds in this uh, fight and yeah, Telfine Pursoon is a really interesting fighter because she fights... Uh, like a female Sean Porter, you know, and it's very effective as well. Yes, it was not as, as effective as the first meeting, but it still was really effective. She still fought really well. Credit to Delphine Pazoon for making this again another fight. And guys, if you're not watching women's boxing, female boxing, then you're doing yourself a disservice because the way it's set out with two-minute rounds and 10 rounds and you know we'll get onto that in a second but the way it's set up makes it such an incredibly fast-paced fight such a a stroll to get through basically you know sometimes three minute rounds 12 rounds that can be a little bit of a chore to get through especially if you know if it's just a, a straight boxing match you know someone's 
boxing very technically well and you know they're both you know it's a chess match basically you know when that happens it's you know basically like yeah whatever whatever it can be boring it can be a bit of a you know a slug to get through but because these are two minute rounds these are very fun rounds and you know every round was very hard to score I did give it to Katie Taylor. I thought she was landing um, the better shots. I thought she was boxing more effectively for her style. Obviously, Delphine Bazoon made it a fight. She absolutely did, so credit to her. And Delphine Bazoon, this time for the decision, was not in doubt. She gave full credit to Katie Taylor after the victory, as you should, because Katie Taylor boxed incredibly well on the night. And, you know, sometimes she was making Delphine Pazoon look stupid. Sometimes she was making a miss incredible. You know, it was just incredible the way she was making a miss. She was slipping and sliding out of these punches. And, you know, but Delphine Pazoon, as the fight went on, grew in confidence and started luring Katie Taylor into these firefights. And Katie Taylor, she obliged because, hey, she's Irish. She loves to fight. You know, she's a fighting person. Yes, she's very technically gifted, but at the end of the day, she's a fighter. So this was a really incredible fight. And the thing I want to talk about with 10 rounds is, listen, this women's boxing should be 12 rounds, not 10 rounds. Because in men's boxing, a 10-round fight is uh, the fights below the world championship level. This was a fight for the undisputed lightweight championship. This was a fight where all the belts were on the line. This was a hugely significant fight. There haven't been many undisputed champions in history. Not many. So it needs to be 12 rounds. It really does. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to go on a limb and say these fights need to be three rounds. Obviously in the UFC, their women fight 25 minutes. They fight five five minute rounds and three five minute rounds as well. Same as the men. And listen, it doesn't hurt the women's quality. But obviously, MMA is a very different sport. And, you know, some fights can be grappling matches. Some fights can be swing and bang. Some fights can be chess matches, yada, yada, yada. You know, there's a lot more variety in the fights that you can have. In a boxing match, you're either going to have a chess match or a slug fight. <laughs> you know. So I don't know if the rounds uh, should be three minutes. I think two minutes is really good, actually. I think it's... a uh, very easy to get through i think um there's not as much feeling out in these fights they really have to just get to work it's similar to amateur boxing in that sense where you know sometimes the fighters only have nine minutes three three minute rounds to really get going and they really have to assert themselves and that's what these women do in these fights they assert themselves because they only have two minutes to work they don't have that first minute that feeling out minute where you know where it is like that so Katie Taylor, she wins a unanimous decision. One scorecard was a bit off. I think one scorecard was 98-93, uh, and the other ones were 96-94. Um, yeah, but listen, Katie Taylor, in my opinion, won that fight. In Delphine Pursoon's, uh opinion, she won that fight. So I don't think anyone's crying over this fight. I don't think many people are going to say this is a robbery, especially since Delphine Pursoon herself didn't think this was a robbery she gave full credit to katie taylor and women take losses really well you know there aren't many um bad feelings after women's boxing matches like there are in the men's sport and it's uh 
you know, they shake hands, they're very nice to each other, they smile to each other after the fight, and they, you know, yes, this happens in men's boxing as well, but, you know, other times there are lots of bad feelings <laughs> after fights, obviously. But, um, but yeah. Good fight. Katie Taylor, she's one of the um, more influential figures in boxing, in my opinion. She's a person that, you know, inspires a lot of women to go and box, and she is... Yeah, she's a great figure for the sport. I really like Katie Taylor. I hope she continues to do well, represent her country, Ireland, really well. And yeah, she's a great representative of the sport. What can I say? And that's really it for today's episode. Oh, I nearly forgot. We were talking about him just a second ago. Sean Porter comes back after his loss to Errol Spence. A great fight that was. Guys, if you haven't seen that fight... Sean Porter versus Errol Spence. Talk about a dogfight, man. That's a dogfight and a half. Sean Porter fought excellently that night. I actually thought he won that fight. But he was back in a WBC title eliminator fight. He fought Sebastian Formaya. Um, Formaya isn't obviously the biggest challenge in the world, but he won a shutout. He dominated his opponent. So what more can you do? Yes, you could stop him, but... I don't think stopping people is as easy as people think it is, you know. Some people don't want to to be stopped. So, you know, it's very hard to get the stoppage. But Sean Porter fought excellently well. He won a wide, a shutout on all three judges' scorecards. And, yeah, Sean Porter's back. And that's really it for today's episode, guys. What a fun week of boxing. Not so much MMA. MMA kind of let me down this week. Kind of let me down. Oh, and before I go, I did it again. I do two of those now. No, but before I go, I need to tell you a story. Because I just need to tell you a Bellator story. I didn't talk about this in the uh, Bellator section of the show. But in Bellator, in Australia, sorry, it's really hard to watch Bellator. You either have to illegally stream it or... I think that's it. I think really that's the only option. They don't really make it very easy for you to watch these cards on Bellator. They really do not. I think they should be on Fox Sports. I think you should talk to Fox Sports about uh, getting some coverage in Australia because it really is hard. But for a time, Optus Sport had it when they had their TV package because they had a deal with Spike TV and stuff like that. And when the Spike TV um, deal lapsed, with Optus Sport or with Bellator, whichever way it may be. Optus, our telephone provider, who also do a TV subscription thing, they put out a notice to their uh, subscribers saying that Bellator has now moved from, get this, Bellator has now moved from Spike TV and will now be on the Comedy Central channel. (laughs) Come on, the Comedy Central channel. What? Isn't that just insane? On the Comedy Central channel. It's almost like a joke. It's almost like they know Bellator is a fucking a joke. <laughs> you know? It's almost like that was a little laugh they did, you know? No, but um, yeah, that's it for today's show, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And um, we have a new theme song, guys. We have a new theme song, and yeah, I'm gonna play. Th- I'm gonna play the whole thing for you guys because I really like it. It's called Wayne and 08 
Lil Wayne he's talking about. Lil Wayne in 08, it's a beat that represents the Carter 3, if you guys are into that album. Great hip-hop album, by the way. One of the classic hip-hop albums of all time. And yeah, I just felt, hey, this was a, sh- this was a song that, you know, the podcast could really use. Because like, we used music on the first episode. It was a techno beep and boop song. And yeah, I like that song, but it just wasn't feeling right. But Lil Wayne is a you know big boxing fan, big sports fan, big MMA fan. I bet he is. I don't know if he's a big MMA fan, but I bet he is, right? He's Lil Wayne. He's, he's awesome. If Zane Malik's a fan, I'm sure Lil Wayne's a fan. But yes, I bid you adieu, farewell. His Kaz One, that's the artist's name, with his song Wayne and 08. And this will be our theme song. Bye-bye, guys.